What's up, guys? It's Vince Gabriel with another episode of the FBU podcast. Very excited about this one. It's actually a recording I did with Anthony Renna on the Strength Coach podcast. I have a monthly um, podcast that I record with Anthony, and we talk business. And this week's episode, I tell a very, very crazy story. And uh, if you listen to some of my previous podcasts, you'll know you got a little bit of the play-by-play into my uh, life-threatening experience. But this really tells the whole entire story and kind of relates it back to business. So I also, at the end, afterwards, I tell the story, I go into the four stages of fitness business success. It's something I created many, many years ago. And something I think will be really, really valuable because I'll describe four different stages that gym owners go through and you'll be able to identify uh, which stage you're in and it will kind of give you some interesting info on what you need to do in that specific stage. So here is my podcast with Anthony Renna. Peace. Thanks. All right, welcome to another special edition of the Strength Coach Podcast with Vince Gabriel, founder of Gabriel Fitness Performance and Fitness Business University. He helps gym owners get more clients, make more money, and have more freedom. He's the author of nine fitness-related books, including The Ultimate Guide to Marketing Your Gym. He does the KISS Marketing Business Secrets for Gym Owners on every show, but you know, we've been doing this now for the whole year, and uh, hopefully we're going to continue it. We'll get a little extra in here for you guys. So, Vince, thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Anthony. Great to be back with you. Got a lot of lots to talk about today, and uh, thanks for having me on. As always, appreciate it. All right, brother. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of excited. I, I wish I could have went, but you guys were out in Montana. You went to up uh, by Glacier National Park. Uh, for some people that don't know, I worked in Yellowstone for a couple summers, and I just love it out there. And when TJ told me that you guys were having the CEO Mastermind out there, I was all excited because uh, you were actually in a town where my friend bartends in that town. So I know you guys didn't get yep. to see her, but... Dude, how was Montana? Before we get into all the business stuff, I mean, it's amazing. Isn't it gorgeous there? It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And, uh, yeah, we one of our members, Joe Hashi, uh, he's actually the head business coach uh, for Fitness Business University. He uh, – and this is the, the caliber of people in this group. Um, he is a gym owner but also has Airbnb short-term rentals all over the country. And one of them happens to be in Whitefish, Montana. And so we had our meeting out there. So our CEO mastermind is like our small group mastermind. It's where, you know, TJ Lopez, who you talk about, is in that one. A lot of really high level gym owners in that one. There's about uh, 10 in the group. And we go all over the country and find these little nooks and lock ourselves in in cabins in the middle of the woods and and do business building. So it it, it was beautiful scenery. Um, but it's a, yeah, you're right. Montana is, is a pretty amazing place for sure. Cool. Uh, are we going to talk a little bit about some of the things that came out of those cabins, uh, today on your, uh, that I, that I can't, that I can't mention, um, <laughs> in terms of what we talk about. It's very, um, it's very private. I mean, these guys are getting up there with their profit and loss statements in terms of talking numbers and financials um, and, and everything like that. But um, so, so, but I will say that we had the two days of masterminding and I had planned for Vanessa and my three kids to meet me out there to stay in the cabin for a week and so we got done with the mastermind. I think it was on a, we got done with on a Friday and Vanessa was supposed to come Saturday night and she flew into Colorado to do a connection, but missed the connection to Montana. And so Vanessa and the kids, you know, I hadn't seen them in a week. I was really anxious to see them. Vanessa and the kids had, had to, uh, they had to stay in Colorado for the night. And so I'm like, you know, thinking I was going to see them. And then they're, they're staying in Colorado for the whole day. And then they finally 
you know, are due to fly into Montana. And I get to the airport to pick them up and they're not there. And I'm like, all right, what the hell's going no on? No way. I talked to Texas Vanessa. I was like, where are you guys? She's like, we're here. We're in Montana. And I was like, and I, I put her flight number in the United app. And dude, what I saw made my stomach drop. She was in Billings, Montana. No. Not Kalispell, oh. which is where I was. And Billings, Montana is across the entire... Now, you can fit about 15 New Jerseys in Montana. I don't know what the number is. There's a lot of them. <laughs> and Billings is literally all, all the way across the state of Montana. So it's like, it's close to, you know, a quarter of the way across the country. It's like, that's how far it was. Maybe not that much, but it's, it was... And so yeah, this fun. is nine o'clock at night, eh? <laughs> nine o'clock at night. My kids have already been oh. away from me for a week and I'm like, I'm dying. Now, here's the other thing. There are no direct flights from Billings to Kalispell. So they were going to have to fly to Seattle the next day and then go from Seattle to Kalispell, which is like, I, I, how do you not have a direct flight state to state? Like that doesn't make any sense. But there's no direct flights from Billings to Kalispell. So I'm like thinking this, I'm not having my kids travel a whole nother day. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to start driving. And so at nine o'clock at night, I started to drive from Billings, from uh, Kalispell to Billings. Oh, man. Five minutes into the trip, I get pulled over by a Montana state trooper. And, you know, he pulls me over and I'm like, All right. I, as soon as he comes to the window, I'm like frantic and I'm telling him what's happening. And he looks at me, he's like, you're going where tonight? I was like, I'm going to Billings. And he's like, do you know how far that is? And I'm like, yeah, it's right here on the GPS. And he looks at me and goes, how much gas do you have? And I was like, I have a full tank. Why? He's like, because there ain't no gas stations between here and Billings, except in the Indian reservation. And I'm like, What? And so he's got in my head that I have, you know, a full tank of gas, but then I got no gas stations on the way, which is, which turned out to not be true. But, um, and then he starts warning me about the, um, things I'm going to see along the way. And I was just like, Holy God. He's like, you're going to see a lot of four legged critters. Now Montana has this thing where Montana has the longest sunset I've ever seen. From the sun starts setting at six o'clock and it doesn't go down until like nine thirty. It's unbelievable, right? But when it goes down, Anthony, it is the darkest state on the planet. It is pitch black in Montana. And so I, he he ends up not giving me a ticket, and I and I start going, and I'm like nervous as hell. Were, were you speeding? Were was, you speeding? By the way, is that what it was? Oh, that's why. Yeah, I, I was going sixty and a forty. I was changing lanes without a turn signal and I had my taillights were not on. Oh boy. <laughs> so he should have killed me, but he did. And he ended up helping me out. Right. So I start this drive and I put it in ways. Right. And it, I, I start driving and Vanessa's like back and forth with me. And at this point I still had cell service. And she's back and forth with me. She's like, no, don't come. She's like, it's okay. Like, we'll figure this out. Like, go home and go to sleep. This was 9 o'clock at night, right? And it was actually 11 o'clock for me because I was still on East Coast time. Um, so I was like, no, I was like, I'm not having my kids travel. Another. So, so I start driving. And I start to see some really, really crazy things along the way. And while I'm driving, and I'm going through Glacier um, at this point, while I'm driving, I look to the side of the road and I'm, I'm seeing ant, these elk that are like, they look like horses. Like they're, they're the largest animals I've ever seen. And they're just standing like on the side of the road and you can't see them until like, they're like two feet away from your car. And so I'm like swerving around between these elk. These, these things are just monsters. And then after I see that stuff, I start, um, it starts snowing 
and I'm in a minivan and it starts snowing and I'm not talking like New Jersey snow. This is Montana snow. This is blizzard where it snows sideways. And I'm on the side, I'm on the road and I'm like literally in the middle of nowhere, two lanes, one lane going one way, one lane the other way. And there's no cars on the road. I'm the only car on the road. And in the first like hour of the trip, I saw a couple of things, but after that, it was literally nothing. You couldn't see anything. There's no light. There's no sign of human life anywhere. And so I'm driving through and it starts blizzarding and I'm driving in like, you know, probably three inches of snow at this point. And I'm going, I was going, you know, obviously 60 before I'm going like 25 miles an hour. And I was like, dude, this is going to take me forever to get there. So I keep driving and keep driving. And all of a sudden I see this massive pile of animals on the side of the road, on the right side of the road. And I was just like, dude, what are these things? And they were huge. And I couldn't, it was dark. So I couldn't really see what they were. And at first I thought they were cows. I was like, no, they're not cows. And all of a sudden one of them is standing in the middle of the road, like staring at me. Now it's snowing. So I barely can see. So I slam on the brakes and I fishtail all over the side of the road. And all of a sudden I'm face to face with a freaking horse, like this massive horse that's standing in the middle of the road. And like we lock eyes, me and the horse and I fishtail out of the way and I barely miss the horse and I keep driving in the snow. And I'm just like, this is an hour in. And I'm like, what the heck? How am I going to make it? I have nine hours or eight hours left. It ended up taking me nine hours total, eight hours left to go. And Vanessa keeps trying to call me. And when she's calling me, it's like, I'm sorry, this phone number does not exist anymore because there's no connection. So there's no connection. And while I'm driving, the ways, it all of a sudden it was working, but then all of a sudden it would go blank. And I'm driving and I was like, there's nothing. There's no cell service. I couldn't make a phone call. There's nothing. And then I start seeing my gas tank go down. So I'm like two hours in and I start seeing my gas and I have less miles, right? So my gas is telling me I can go for like 300 more miles, but I had 350 miles to go. And so I started to really panic. And I was just like, holy cow, this is like really nerve wracking because the cop already told me that there's not a lot of gas stations. So I start driving. Now, I'm really anxious at this point about the gas. So I finally, I keep driving and keep driving and keep driving. And finally, I found a gas station. And I tell you, that like gave me this like surge of energy to find this gas station um, because it gave me a little bit of hope. It gave me a little confidence and I actually uh, recorded a podcast while I was driving. So if anyone wants to listen to the podcast of me, the play-by-play, and I'm like, as I'm <laughs> recording the podcast, I'm like saying, holy shit, what is that on the side of the road? Oh, oh my, my God, God, what is it? Like, I was like, the Fitness Business University podcast. Um, I forget what it's, what it's called, but it, like you literally, I recorded the podcast. But, but I will say this, I started recording a podcast because I wanted to distract myself and I, I had to stop. Because I was like so nervous about the gas, I was like I had to, I was like I couldn't I was like I can't concentrate and I couldn't record the podcast. But then after I got the gas, I was like, all right, I'm good, I'm good, I, and I started recording the podcast. And that's what you can. Um, I think it's uh, the, the the title of the podcast is why gym owners doubt themselves on the Fitness Business University podcast. So if you do want to listen to the actual play by play, like literally me in the car saying like yelling at elk and stuff like that. Um, and so I keep driving, I keep driving and I, I, after I get the gas, things are kind of going better. Um, but then I start going and I see this thing in the middle of the road, just sitting there. Now, remember like this stuff comes up quick because there's no light anywhere and you only have your headlights and it's thing, it's this thing sitting in the middle of the road and it looks like it's as big as a Swiss ball. It's like, and, and it was a, it was a porcupine. But it was like the biggest porcupine I've ever seen. And it's literally just like hunkering down in the middle of the highway. And then I start driving and I see a, I, I, I see something that like I'll never unsee in my entire life. And I'm guessing what happened was a, a, a very, very large truck, which were the only cars on the road I saw. Um, a very large truck must have hit like four deer. 
and and like this was like a a battle. What what I saw the the road was stained red. That's how bad it was when I saw and I, I see you know four dead deer and then literally like blood covering the road. It, it looked like a massacre. That's what it looked like. And I just like I drove and I'm like bumping over these dead deer and like swerving in and out, you know, with these animals. And I'm like, dude, I am not going to make it. And I got Vanessa calling me and sometimes she can get through and sometimes she can't. Poor thing, like didn't sleep at all that night. But literally I'm driving and this is now like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Um, in my nine hours of driving, I literally only saw two cars come behind me. Can you imagine that? Behind me, I was literally by myself on yeah. this Montana road, by what, myself the entire time. Were you like I, in that situation? Honestly, I, I, I mean, ninety. Like you, yes. you, you head down and you go to like you would have went to Missoula first and then get on ninety. To no, get, might, no, that's 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 not where it took me. That's so not where I the ways took you, right? I mean, I personally would have wanted to get on 90, you know, just because it's a major, you know, interstate. But anyway. Yeah, it didn't take me 90, and I didn't <laughs> know 90 existed. I just trusted that ways would yeah. take me away where yeah. I wasn't going to get strung up, you know, uh, and, and and killed. But apparently it did. And, and I told my cousin who lived in Montana afterwards what happened. He was like, dude, do you realize where you were? He was like, you were in Browning, Montana for like most of the trip, which is the largest engineering reservation on the planet. And it, it was like, he was like, I can't believe you were on that road. And I was like, oh God. I was like, I didn't know. Because like literally if I had gotten my car broke down or I couldn't go in the snow, um, I, I would have been screwed. I would have been there for days because there was nothing, there's nothing out there, nothing. And there's no, most of the time there's no cell service. So I keep driving, and after I see this carnage, I'm, I'm getting home free, and I'm getting, and I get, I get two hours away, and all of a sudden, man, it starts to snow again. And when I say it was snowing before, twice as hard as it was before. And you know how you're driving, and usually the car in front of you has set tracks, so you drive in those tracks. Yeah, that you were setting them, huh? <laughs> I was setting, I was setting the tracks. There was no tracks in front of me. And all of a sudden, it keeps snowing harder and harder and harder. And you feel my car struggling more and more and more. And I, like I'm down to like 20 miles an hour. And Montana is like this weird thing where all of a sudden, you just drive through and the snow just stops. And so I was like, literally, I was like, I'm going to get caught in the snow. I'm going to be stuck in the side of the road forever. And then finally, the snow stops. And I ended up making it home. Um, to my kids and to Vanessa at six o'clock in the morning, no I rolled way. in after nine hours. So that's my, <laughs> oh my God. that is my story. I promise there's a business point to this. Um, but, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it, that, that, that is my story. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I believe me, I worked there for two years and, and tried to really see greater Yellowstone. So it took many trips through Montana and, and Wyoming, same stuff, really, on uh, these roads. And people don't realize you're going up and down these different elevations. And like you said, there's no street lights. And, you know, the only, even, even on 90, I mean, the gas stations are few and far between. You know, there are, they are on 90. But, you know, it'll be like next station, you know, 78 miles. You know, next next exit, 78 miles. You know, so... Yeah, I can. Yep. And and you like you said, you're all you know. You, when you don't know where you're going, you you know you're gripping the wheel really tight, and you you got your shoulders hunched over, and you're close to the wheel, and you're like trying to trying to see better. And oh man, I gotta listen to that other podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> pretty crazy. <laughs> so so here here's how this relates to business, right? And while I was on this trip, I many many times wanted to stop. And, and turn around and go back. And there's even points in time where Vanessa was like, this is crazy, what are you doing? You gotta stop. Um, and the, the word I can think about the most when I think about that trip was uncertainty, right? And uncertainty really means like, you don't know what's going to happen. So I had no idea where I was and I had no idea how long it was going to take me. I had no idea what was coming up in the weather. 
And in business, we all face uncertainty. We all face things that we haven't seen before. And I do believe that that is the thing that holds most people back. The thing that holds most people back is when they find, they get to a point in business and they feel this sense of insecurity and uncertainty because they don't know what to do next or they don't know what's going to happen next. A lot of times they stop and they don't look for the right answers and they don't do the right things. And that keeps them. That is why, you know, a lot of people stay stagnant for many, many years. And a lot of people don't make it because they have a lot of trouble dealing with this uncertainty. And my goal on this trip, even as an uncertain was, as I was, my goal was to keep driving. And even when I was going down to 25 miles an hour and I'm in the snow, my goal was to continue to move the wheels of that car until I got to Billings, Montana. And I think that that's really the thing that gym owners need to understand is that when you're going through challenges and when you're going through struggles, um, when you don't know what to do, you, you kind of just need to keep moving forward and pushing forward. And so one of the things that I created many, many years ago was this thing called the four stages of fitness business success. And what it did was it outlines the four stages that typical business owners and gym owners, and this is specific to the fitness industry, um, typically go through. And the reason why I created it was to bring the level of uncertainty down. And what that means is that if, so here are a couple things along the way that helped me on my trip, right? Thinking back to the trip. So it was, even though it was a little daunting, the, the fact that I knew that there was not a lot of gas stations based on what the cop told me, made me a little bit more aware about my gas. Meaning I wasn't blind to the fact, I wasn't like lollygagging through Montana saying, oh, there's gas stations everywhere in Montana. And I had this little sense of alert and a little sense of hyper on the gas. And I got gas immediately before I probably even needed it, right? And the second thing was he told me about the, um, the, the, the four-legged animals, right? And he was right. He told me what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened, literally. And I had a little bit more sense of, after I saw that first elk on the road, a little more sense of awareness about what I need to look out for. And I can't go super, super fast because one of these things is going to dart right out of the road and smash my car. Right. And so the knowledge, even though I was really, really uncertain, the knowledge that I got before the trip was actually very, very helpful. And the four stages was created to really say, hey, this is probably going to happen to you in your course as a business owner. And I can't prevent it from happening, right? But I can forewarn you. So that when you do see it, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what Vince told me would, would happen. And now you can work through it better. So I created these four stages to help gym owners, one, bring their level of uncertainty down to know that sometimes crappy things are going to happen and challenges are going to be in front of you. And a lot of times when you know what to expect, right, it's a little easier to work yeah. through it. So. Yeah. This is, this is my unpacking of the four stages of fitness business success for you guys. Is that helpful, Dan? Cool, yeah. And you know what? I just want to mention really quick, it just kind of came into my head of like on your trip. I think two important points to this, and these aren't the part of the four stages, but number one, you had a goal. 
Billings, Montana. You started with the end in mind. Like, I have to get to Billings, Montana. And you had a huge why. Your kids were there. Your wife was there. And uh, you didn't want them traveling. And uh, I just, it kind of popped in my head while you were talking about this. Like, those are two huge, important pieces of it. But I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was interesting uh, how it relates to uh, business as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as I look back now, and as, as stressful as it was during it, it's now provided me a lot of content for my business, right? I've told yeah. this, I created a podcast on it. I, I, I taught this to my mastermind members yesterday. I'm talking about it with you today. So this uh, challenge that I went in, and that's the other thing too, is like, you got to start to love your challenges. Right, you got to start to love the pe- the struggles and the things that you go through, um, and and this is something they talk about in stoicism, right? Where you start to actually this thing called a morphati, which is you start to actually love the, the challenges and the problems. Doesn't mean you're not going to be anxious through it, but you start to understand and realize, man, I'm going through this right now, but there's going to be a lot of value that I'm going to be able to get from this, um, you know, for 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 the future. So. Here's, here's, so the way, and the way this kind of got created was I have a, a very good friend who's the owner of Zingerman's Deli, which is a, it's a 70 to $80 million business in, in um, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And they have, uh, they, they, they started with a deli called Zingerman's Deli and they've expanded to like multiple different uh, types of companies. And, uh, Ari wrote a book uh, that everyone should read called Managing Ourselves. And in the book, he outlines um, this process um, created by Dr. Edgar Schein. Um, I, I'm not sure what exactly it's called, but it's basically this, it, it was this very researched process of four stages that a business goes through. So what I'm about to explain to you guys is not based on just my experience in the fitness industry. This is based on legitimate research, legitimate business research that every organization and every business kind of goes through these stages, no matter what the industry is in. And the only thing I did is I took what I learned from Ari and Dr. Edgar Schein, uh, who created the, the, the research, and I, I built it for fitness business owners and matched up the revenues and matched up all the problems and matched up the focuses that you need to have um, with the fitness industry, right? So that's just for context um, where this came from. This didn't just, you know, you know, evaporate out. This didn't just like get created out of thin air. There's some pretty um, concrete research behind everything that I'm about uh, to talk about today. Okay. So, I created these four stages and, and the stage one is called creating and think of a stage one business as the startup phase, right? So you, you were, and the way I can explain my startup phase is, Hey, I moved from San Diego to New Jersey and the decision to start my own business started in New Jersey. I moved in Vanessa and I moved into my parents' house and that was me starting this business. That's my first day in creating, right? I'm doing things like, you know, forming an LLC. I'm training people in my mom's basement. I was going out to local fields. And before I even had a facility, I was this man possessed trying to get this thing off the ground, right? Now, there's usually a period of time there's not this exact period of any of this, right? There's not like, and they already talked about this. There's not this letter that you get in the mail that thinks, congratulations, you've graduated from stage one to stage two. Um, this is very kind of organic, but the typical revenues that we see in, in a stage one business that is really just trying to get this thing off the ground is zero to 200K. So around zero to 200,000, um, is usually where we see the stage one business. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be 150K and be in stage two. It's just around what, you know, a, a base for it is. One of the things that is very important to understand 
uh, is what is the overall goal? And you just mentioned what is the overall goal, right? And the overall goal in stage one is to survive. That is the overall goal in stage one is that you make it through stage one. And here's the reason why a lot of businesses don't make it. Now, Ant, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've experienced this and it was definitely hard. But the number one thing that people really need to watch out for um, when they go through this period is, is burnout. And it's a really easy time to burn out because you're doing so much and everything's dependent on you and you usually don't have employees. And especially in the fitness industry where you're working really, really long hours, you're getting up very early in the morning to train sessions, you're staying very, very late at night. And that is the main goal is that you survive. The problem with that is that you, you have to really be, um, have your, your, some endurance because you're essentially going to do everything. When I started my business, I didn't really have any employees. It was just me. So I was the one that was doing the financials and I was the one doing the sales and I was the one doing the marketing and I was the one doing the training. I was the one doing everything. And so breaking through stage one really takes a lot of perseverance. It, it takes a lot of toughness. Um, and it, it, it takes a lot of, of um, really making sure that you're in this for the right reasons. Now, the things, the secret, the magic keys on what you need to do to go from stage one to stage two is one, you have to focus on getting enough clients. And, and here's where a lot of people screw up at. A lot of people screw up this stage because they want to create, whenever I see a stage one business owner and they want to talk to me about the perfect systems, I, I immediately tell them that you're barking up the wrong tree. Okay. Um, systems are very, very important in business, but systems are, you know, really make to make sure that you have good communication between staff and things get done the right way. Um, you can have great systems, but if you don't have clients that are paying you money, you're screwed. So the number one, most important thing. So for all you stage one businesses out there, the number one most important thing is you must get to a critical mass of customers. You must get to a base of incoming revenue that exceeds your expenses so you can start to actually have money. Because most of us, right, didn't start with this big injection of capital, right? Most of us didn't, don't start with investor money where we, we got this big nest egg of, of cash that we you know, can just, you know, lean on and we can hire three trainers right away. Most of us don't start like that. Most of us are bootstrapped, right? And we got to figure it out. So we got to make money. And that's the number one thing that gym owners need to do in this stage one is make money, get to a critical, uh, critical mass of customers um, to be able to then have the cash to hire, which kind of brings us to stage two. And stage two is called building. And the, if the focus in stage one is surviving and getting to a critical mass of customers, we now have to create a team. And so that's the focus and the goal of stage two is we want to build a team. And the typical revenues of stage two is a two hundred to $500,000. And the goal is that we now relieve ourselves of doing everything in the business. So typically, you know, a trainer will do all the sessions and then in, as they embark on to stage two, you know, maybe they hire a couple of full-time trainers to start taking some of the staff and maybe they have, you know, a part-time admin or even a full-time admin or something like that. Um, but they're, the, the owner is still doing a decent amount of the training in this stage meaning they're not like the CEO that's just sitting in the boardroom and doing nothing and like that. They're on the floor, they're working, but they're just not working as much. And they got some team members, you know, you know, me from stage two. And um, I think you did our first, uh, when we did the, 
uh, of the first episode of Strength Coach TV, and you came to my old facility. Mm-hmm. I think that, do you remember that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I think that we were probably in stage two, and I had like two or three full-time trainers, and we were doing well, and things were busy, but I was still on the floor training lots yeah. of clients, Yeah. right? I was still out there, and I was still, you know, I was doing like ACL stuff, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm very, very involved. Right. But my job kind of shifted from doing everything to really making sure that the trainers I did have were doing a good job because I wanted to continue with the um, with the type the quality of service that I got me, you know, through stage one. Um, So the, the challenges that people face in stage two is that, I mean, I had never managed people before stage before I started, when I started the business, right? I was like, you know, a trainer out in San Diego. I didn't do nothing. The only thing I knew was training. And so now I'm in this position where, yeah, I got these trainers and like, what do I need to do to keep them? And how much should I pay them? And how do I, you know, um, you know, progress them and give them raises as, as they go? And what am I supposed to do to evaluate them? And how do I know if they're doing a good job and all of that? So it became, the challenge became, you have to learn a new skill. And the skill becomes, you know, management, management uh, of people and management of, of yourself and finding out what you need to do with the new time that you have because you're not doing every session. Right. And then really what that evolves into is what you're really trying to do at this point is, is create a culture. Right. The, the culture in the beginning is just you. Right. You're starting to shape the culture by just you and what you do. But now you got other people on this stage too, and you're really trying to start to build this culture uh, with with the team. So this is the focus. So the focus of stage two is to build the squad, get your revenue to around 200, 500k, and you really need to learn how to train and 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 manage people. Okay, and once we get going, and we get going, and now there's a lot of great businesses that stay in stage two. Now here's the thing: the caveat to this. You don't necessarily have to stay. You don't necessarily have to move to each stage. Like I know a lot of guys that are career stage two people, meaning they still love to train and they still want to train and they still like me personally, like I wanted to get out of stage two as fast as possible because I didn't want to train anymore. I was done. I didn't like it. I was just, I was just, I had done it for a long time and it was over. But some people just really, and that's okay. Right. But you do just got to know the disadvantages of that. Vince, what, what what year would you say you, you went from, you know, like, okay, I'm done with two, now I'm moving on, as we, right before we're going to talk about stage three, but what year into it did you did you do this? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the when I hired my first general manager, which was, is really kind of a sign of, of stage three, someone like that's really in charge of the running of the business. Um, I believe for me that was like 2012. So I probably got to stage three about four years into it. Um, but again, as I said, Ant, like it's going to vary based on where you're at and how fast you move and how much capital you have and everything sure. like that. But Size. For me personally, yeah. For me personally, around I think four years into it, I got to a, a stage three. But 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 I will say this. Um, you know, and making lots of mistakes in my career, I got to stage three and then was probably catapulted back into stage two um, after some bad business decisions and some other challenges that I talk about in some of my webinars and things like that. So it hasn't been all this pretty ride. I've gotten bumped down stages where, um, and it's very important to protect yourself against of going, you know, back at stage um, and everything like that. So Stage three is called prime, right? Prime. And this is where you're building an organization. So stage two looks like you, um, you training 20 hours a week. You got a couple full-time trainers, maybe a part-time trainer. You got an admin. Stage three is where we start to build an organization, right? And this is where you start looking at, this is like the, I call this the org chart. Um, stage where you start to, you get, you, you're, you're really, you have what's called organizational ADD, 
where you don't know who does what, you got a lot of shit flying around and you don't know anything and you're just, you're like totally disorganizing. You're like, all right, I need to find the right people, put them in the right seats and everything like that. So this is where you, you know, have someone in charge of marketing. This is where you have someone that owns the sales. This is where you have like an operations person. You have a team that not only just does the stuff, right? They don't just train clients they actually help you run the business. Now this is transfers you from a lead, from a manager to a leader, right? From a manager to a leader. So now before you're just managing people and making sure they don't screw up. Now you're actually leading and guiding people to make sure that you're holding them accountable to the results that you have set out for them. So it's a very, very different type of thing. But Prime is, is a great place to be. I really like Prime um, because it's kind of, it gives you the most freedom, right? You, you, can, you can really, you know, have, uh, make good money and have a lot of freedom during, during this stage. Um, but the problem is a, a lot of times there's um, a stress level that increases. And the stress level is not from work. The stress level is from one, not being a competent leader and also realizing that, oh man, there's a lot on the line here. I got people that are feeding their families with this business and that's dependent on me. And that's a tough thing to, for, for people that, you know, I was a trainer for five, seven years. And now all of a sudden people are depending on me for their health insurance and depending on me to feed their kids. Like I'll never forget the first time one of our trainers had a kid and I'm just, all right, wait a minute. This person's full time. They're depending on this income. I'm in charge of running this business. And this person's kid is getting fed based on how I run this business. And I was like, that was like a real like tough thing. So I, I believe that this is a great stage, but it also doesn't come with more of, and an emotional stress or a mental stress that you, you have, uh, you're embarking into waters that you've never been before. So this is a great one, but it also can be uh, a challenging one. Your number one thing you need to do is be a leader. You need to be a leader and you need to find the right people and put those people in the right positions and then get the hell out of the way and let them do the job. And so that is, um, that is stage three. And this is where I see most people stay. I, it's rare that people uh, go to stage four. Now, I'll give you an example. Like currently, I'm in stage four for Gabriel Fitness, right? And stage four is where you hire, um, you know, someone to run the business. Where stage three, you kind of have like maybe a, a, an operations person or someone that is really like, making sure everything gets done. Whereas stage four, you have like more of a, um, what I call an integrator. And the only person that you lead in stage, so you're kind of leading a bunch of people in stage three, you're only leading one person in stage four. And that's the person that runs the gym, right? And so the problem with that is this is a really hard person to find. A, a general manager or an integrator um, is a really, really hard person to find. But in stage four, we call it charging. That's the number one problem. But what it does is if you can find it, it frees you up. And the, the goal of, of this is to find new revenue streams. That's the goal of stage four is that, all right, I got this gym. I created this business. It's, it's, it's making money. I'm, I love it, but I'm kind of getting a little bored. And I want to explore the things. I want to diversify my income streams and I want to do other things. So that's really what stage four is about is that your gym keeps going. Your gym keeps running. That's why I like the, the people that the consultant ant that say, Oh yeah, I sold my gym. Well, most of the time they sold their gym for pennies on the dollar because they couldn't hack it. They couldn't find the person to run the business. And that, that, that's really what it is. It's like, oh, I can't get, keep this thing running with me doing other stuff. So I'm just going to sell it for liquidating equipment. That's, that's, that's most of what happens in sales. Now, I will say this. 
I recently helped one of our mastermind members sell his gym for a multi-million dollar sale. So there are stories out there where people are getting multi-millions for their, for their gyms. Um, but in most cases, the consultants that you hear about, you know, that said, yeah, I ran my gym and I sold it and now I'm doing consulting. Well, those are the people that couldn't hack it in stage four because they couldn't find the right person to run their gym and it didn't give them enough freedom to start other revenue streams. And so like me personally, I'm in stage four and I've been able to start three other companies, right? While my gym continues to run. So there's this business, there's Fitness Business University, there's Kiss Marketing, and then there's Grit Active Performance while my gym runs without me. And that's the key in, in, in stage four. Vince, so those are the wait, kind of the, I got yeah, a question on that. You know, I feel like part of this isn't, hey, I got stage four. I mean, you, you've been doing the Fitness Business University for a while. So you might have been in two or three when you were doing when you came a two, you could have been in two when you started some of the consulting. I don't know which which stage you were in, but you've been doing this for a while, so you had to be in two or three. It doesn't mean, hey, I got to stage four. Now I can start thinking of these things. Absolutely, yeah. And the difference is, Ant, I was doing stuff like dabbling in it. I would run a seminar here and there. I would take on a coaching client here and there. But it wasn't like a legitimate business at that point. Like as of right now, Fitness Business University is a legitimate business. Fitness University itself is bigger than revenue-wise, bigger than most of the gyms that are in my mastermind, right? So it's like a legitimate company, but I didn't have this legitimate company when I first started dabbling. So yeah, I'm not saying, and that's what I said. There's not this message you get in the mail that says, all right, you're in stage four now, you can actually yeah. go start another revenue stream. <laughs> yeah. um, it, 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 that, that's the bit, and I'm glad you brought that up there, because there is this, you know, I want to present it in terms of there are stages, but there also is definite overlaps um, between the four different stages. For yeah, sure. yeah, and, and Vince, another question just on that is that, when you say create other revenue streams of income outside the gym, um, you know, does it, wouldn't you say it would be a little easier early on, you know, in uh, early building stages to build other revenue streams within the gym? Like, let's say that might be supplement sales or, or whatever, you know, like renting out a room to the massage therapist. I don't know, whatever it may be. But can you just kind of expand a little bit on what people should be thinking of? Or, you know, like you were talking about Joe Hashi, who has a lot of Airbnbs and all this stuff. That has nothing to do with the fitness business. So I just wanted to get your take on the revenue streams. Yep, for sure. No, I would, I would definitely say gym owners that are in earlier stages should be doing things within their own business to create revenue streams. So, you know, for example, in Gabriel Fitness alone, when we first started, we had revenue streams of adult fitness. We had group classes. We had sports performance. We had supplements. We had fascial stretch therapy. We had multiple revenue streams. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about strengthening your financial platform by creating other revenue streams. So, for example, when COVID hit, all the revenue streams within Gabriel Fitness got hit, Right. So usually, and, and what this is, is this is creating a protective mechanism for you. So you have multiple streams and you're protecting yourself financially. So when one goes down, it's not that they're all going to go down. So that's what people need to understand is that they want to get to the point where they're diversifying where they make their money. And that could be like starting a consulting business like me. That could be doing Airbnb real estate like Joe. Um, that, that could be, you know, I would look at a second location as a second revenue stream, right? It doesn't even have to be a different business or anything like that. It could be a second location, but to answer your question, Ant, yeah, I would, wouldn't count the, you know, you know, starting a supplement line as a separate revenue, stream, unless you create something really lucrative with supplements, but typically I see, you know, it's anywhere from two to 5,000 a month you know, for supplements and stuff like that. I'm talking about like another thing, like all of a sudden if COVID hits again, you have your gym, but you also have something else that's creating and helping you make money. And that's going to protect you um, against it. But, but here's the problem, man. A lot of people hear this 
and they want to go out and they want during stage one and they're like, yeah, I want diversification too. And I want, I, I want to have multiple streams of income too. And the reality is what they usually do is they do it before they have their home base set up. And there's a lot of guys in SPF mastermind that have multiple income streams. Um, but none of them did it without having home base strong. So I, I think it's better to have one really, really solid re revenue stream versus two kind of shaky revenue streams. So it's, it's very important that before anyone goes out and diversifies yeah. that they have their number one home base set up strong. Yeah, I had a, when I first started in the bar business, I'm 18 or 19, and I was a, I was a busboy slash bar back, and we used to ask this bartender, Scotty, we'd be like, Scotty, you know, like, how do you make a, uh, you know, this drink? And he'd be like, listen, master one craft at a time. Basically saying, <laughs> you're not bartenders, you're busboys. And, you know, he loved us, but he was like, listen, you got to be amazing busboy bar back. Don't even talk to me about making drinks right now. Go get me some ice. <laughs> so you got to master one craft at a time. Go get me some ice. That's all I'll yeah. um, Vince, where can, like, I know you do a lot of webinars. Do you do a webinar on kind of expanding on this? or? So I actually wrote a book about it. And I have a really, uh, it's a really short book. It's a really easy read. But it kind of outlines the four stages. And I also have... You know, Ant, what I could do is I have an infographic. Um, well, actually, I took a picture of it and sent it to you. Uh, maybe what I can do is I can share the document and we can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Because there's a lot on here in terms of, you know, problems, what you need to do in that infographic. I wasn't sure if you did, if you also, if you made this available or, uh, uh, you know, if, you're do, if you expand on it more somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. No, I can uh, I can give, send the PDF um, to you, and then you can put it in in the show notes. And right. then obviously, if anyone anyone has questions, um, I can. We'll also put a link in uh, to book a call um, with me, so I'll give you that link too, and they can do that. So all, in the show notes, you'll see the document um, that outlines the four stages, and you'll see a link to book a call if you have more questions. All right, awesome. Well, uh, Vince, uh, we're glad you're still here to talk about uh, that crazy story in Montana and going over the four stages of fitness business success. Thanks, bud. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Ant.